0: you can feel the tension. The divide grows. Classic or nouveau. Greek revival or brutalist. Truth or relativism. From the beginning, truth has battled the next generation of thinkers, thought leaders and designers, every next gen, innately seeking to make its own mark on the world. And like high school seniors, leave behind a token of their moment in time. Few of these big thoughts last, and if lucky, some find their way into history, becoming ageless humor, like mullets, blow-up chairs, and Furbies. Ah, uh, the exuberance of youth. If you're within proximity of Silicon Valley, you've witnessed the newest fads, vacuity, and restless souls come and go as fast as time on the allegorical beach of M. Night Shyamalan's movie Old, where time is accelerated and whole lifespans are compressed into a couple days. I just read an article in Forbes that referred to benchmarking as large company conservatism, paralysis by analysis and most hated by young fast moving startup CEOs and institutional VCs. Okay, best practices emerged through time because they led to successful outcomes. Value is created for the market and they were rewarded by the market. Best Practices Mitigate Risk. It's also an opportunity to articulate an idea's strengths and address areas for improvement. Today's guest understands the value of design and its need to solve the problems of time. John Thatch is senior principal with the Dahlin Group. Now an international firm, Dahlin began in the San Francisco Bay Area, East Bay to be precise, in 1976, with a number of notable projects with which I am greatly familiar. Roundhill, Blackhawk, Bering. John, it is great to have you on the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm really appreciative of uh, being here and being able to talk to you about things and look forward to your questions and and proceeding with our conversation.
0: Well, John, I just learned that you were employee number one at Dahlin. That's amazing. What do we need to know about you? What else? And the (laughs) Dahlin Group.
1: Well, I think the big thing about me is, again, I became an architect because I guess wanting to make the world a better place and didn't know what architecture was really about until really I joined Doug Dolan in 1976. And it was an interesting period. I didn't expect it was just Doug I was joining when I came up north from uh, San Luis Obispo, but it's been a great journey. I've been really able to. Carve my own journey, you know, with with Doug as far as what we do as architects and what we do as planners about really creating communities and, and creating housing for people and all the other items that go along with community design that we've been a part of as our firm has grown to the state.
0: dolan is committed to sustainability and you ascribe to the LEED standard. Some studies show mixed results on LEED and realized energy efficiency. What's the design secret in ensuring that LEED features reduce energy use?
1: I think the thing is is follow up. you know how are they working? You know, a lot of the things we're talking about are new. so I think we do a lot of follow- up with clients. how are they working or or with homeowners, uh, commercial clients, how it's working. And it's also to be out there a little bit on the forefront, talking with consultants and our clients about what's new out there, what's the possibility, that what we can do. So I think part of it is evaluation of new. Of, of the past but also evaluation of what's possible in the future because it's it's a big item as far as what we're going to do as far as energies as our needs continue to grow our population grows so it, it's something just to take a look at be, be you know reevaluate and also look to the future at the same time
0: sounds like benchmarking
1: <laughs> I, I think it's a little bit of that as far as just looking at things and um, being aware of things I think being an architect or being a designer a big thing is just being aware of your environment not just what you do from a day-to-day basis what other people are doing uh, not only you know like said regionally but nationally but you mentioned we're an international firm well i I think you talk about benchmarking i think it is i think it's knowing what the base is and knowing you know evaluating what's been done before but it's also again looking out there what's new what's what's regionally nationally And like I said, a big thing for our firm, like you mentioned earlier, that we do international work. And that's really opened a lot of doors for us about looking at things, evaluating things. And I think as designers, I think we're always, you know, looking out there as far as what's new, what's possible. But also a big part of that is valuation, you know, at the beginning and then afterwards.
0: Are you aware of any developments underway to make LEED more predictive of real world results? Uh, I'm not
1: say specific ones, but I think most are, I think most of our developer clients are looking after the fact because part of it is, you know, leads does cost money looking at different avenues, what it does and they want to have evaluation of what they're doing and also, I mean, their projects, how they're talking to people about it. They want to you'll be able to say this has a benefit for you what we're doing has a benefit so i think most developers are looking at that it's cost and we also how we want to market it we need to say prove it and look at it so most of our clients who are working with us are looking at that as far as whether it's an individual custom home or whether it's a you know new community
0: you're active in NAHB they promote the national green building standard as a lead alternative at least for residential do you ever certify buildings in NGBS
1: Yes, we do a lot of that with our, our clients. You know, a lot of our clients prefer that. It's not as cumbersome a big thing about LEED as, as all uh, the certification you have to do. The cost just to get certified, and where uh, the other program, the HHE program, is more, say, practical for for builders. You know, builders have a lot on their plate to build these houses. You don't know, get entitlements, then building them, finance. There's there's a lot on the plate for a, a development to get built.
0: Tiny houses are proffered to answer the high cost of housing. Dalen recently won a design competition for a tiny house project in Salt Lake City called Mod Hive. Mm-hmm. Was this built, and what are the challenges in titling tiny houses?
1: Uh, it's not built yet. Uh, we sort of it was a, just an open competition. We picked a site that was next to the transit site. Uh, we picked our own site in Salt Lake City about where to do this, and we thought would be appropriate, you know, near transit. You know, looking at you know, ecom econ, economic levels that. The residents would have that'd be good to have transit public transit close to them uh, as far as what we're doing elsewhere we're doing a lot of tiny homes and they've been in conjunction with um, uh, some church, uh, we have a First Presbyterian Church in the Bay Area, in Castor Valley to be specific, uh, Pastor Jake, who's been great, he's looking at working with other churches at parking lots and developing tiny homes in those areas, and really working, uh, which I think is great with, uh, you know, parking lots for religious organizations that can also give services to, for the people in the tiny homes, really get people back on their feet. And it's, it's been very rewarding. It has had challenges because it is something different as far as you're trying to do something mobile, but it's still fixed with, with bathrooms and kitchens. Uh, but we're getting through that with a lot of communities. And the more we do, I think the easier it will be elsewhere we do. But we're also uh, looking at whole communities uh, with pa- Pastor Jake, uh, which I can't talk about yet, but uh, about how we can do whole communities like what you see, like, like Maude, and what we can do in the future.
0: That's exciting. I want to hear more about that. Hopefully we can have you back.
1: Thank you. I I think it's it's a great avenue. It's something that's very, again, like I said, how we make this place a better, you know, better world. You know, how do we house people? And there's a lot of people who really need some help and a helping hand as far as get them really started and help their futures.
0: So, do we have more tiny houses in our future, or is this just a moment in time?
1: Yes, I think it's. I think there's definitely a future for tiny homes. How it goes, and our population continues to grow. You know, we're we're running out of land in certain areas, you know, where people want to live and how do we provide, you know, it's a little bit of a kickstart for people as far as housing. And I think it also long-term, I think it has some possibilities for long-term housing for maybe singles and things that can be converted to, you know, like sort of a new apartment type life as far as something you want to have and how people want to live.
0: I understand that you also have a special interest in senior housing, John. That is a broad field. How are senior living designs changing, particularly post-COVID?
1: Uh, I think they're changing and trying to make them more healthier. Uh, a lot of things we're looking at, how does a home work? You know, for, say, people who still have homes, how does it, you know, entryway areas that maybe can be a little cleaner, That's transition areas getting into the house, uh, how we maybe look at bathrooms a little differently. Also, I think, A big thing is getting more engaged is universal design, you know, how we, how people can age in place. Uh, I'm sort of going through that with my dad. He's living, he's been living in a two-story house and at 92, he finally moved downstairs, you know, not upstairs. And how it's been interesting for me to go through that with him and making his house you know, work for him now, now he just turned 94 this week, how how that can work for him. So I personally have involvement. I know people want to live in their houses and then maybe how we design new homes or how do we do retrofits, how we make that, you know, long-term they can you know live in the house and I should say, you know, how they can live in the house and make it, you know, very fruitful for them.
0: Well, happy birthday to Mr. Thatch.
1: <laughs> yes. And I, and I think the other thing is, again, just looking at different types of housing, whether, you know, how we, um, you know, affordable, senior, I mean, there's a lot of people out there. We're doing a lot of work that's on the affordable side and we're also doing in the high end and, and sort of the middle. But how I think universal design and how we create houses that are you know going to be very rewarding for people, you know, as they get older.
0: We have a long way to go on the senior housing.
1: Yes, there's there's again, like the affordable side, it's there's a lot of needs, you know, on all types of age brackets.
0: Great show, John. You'll learn something new every day. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you.
1: I'm very appreciative of allowing me to participate. So thanks.
0: Time will tell. That's a hard fact. Design and economies and trends remain in the internal battle for relevance and value. And this may be one of the most fascinating times of all. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. My editor-in-chief, Michael Rudy and I, or in the process of writing a book on the pillars of the industry, those builders, developers, and operators who through time have made a genuine and valuable mark on the industry and multifamily housing. The working title most appropriately is grit. Makes sense to me. If you know of someone and we're looking for those with a serious track record, the Battleborn, please reach out as we work to capture the successes and the lessons and the strategies that have made our nation's multi-housing great. Until then, see you on our next episode of NAHB Power Hitters.